Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick, and guess what? You guys are listening to The Jim Bob Show. Hey, this is Wayne Larrabee, and you're listening to Roar on WGN. It is the one and only Ron Jaworski. Jim Bob, it's Ron Jaworski. I, I know. I'm in, I'm in awe. I know. But oh, awesome. come on. You guys are awesome, man. Keep up the great work. Hey, this is Brian Urlacher, and you're listening to The Jim Bob Show. That's awesome. Oh, and that's then, it. How about one? This is Brian Urlacher. I'm not a bitch. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's the best. That one, huh? Hey, this is Jim McMahon, and you're listening to The Jim Bob Show. I had to pop a beer for this one. Hello, boy. Yeah. Nostalgia, number one. I just think sports, food, and music are three things. And that's kind of, for me, what sports is. Like, I'm drawn by nostalgia. It is the weekend. It is uh, the Jim Bob Show Game Day Edition live here, 720 WGN, and great stations around the country. And, Jim Bob, we talk about sports, a lot of different sports, right? But mostly football focused on here. And this is a guy who's written best-selling books, an acclaimed author. It's not always football, but that is certainly a wheelhouse he has. Now he's, hey, let me tell you something. One of my all-time sports author favorites. And, you, first of all, you got to like a guy if he ever writes about you. So, I mean, <laughs> when, when Jeff wrote... Unless it's a true crime novel. <laughs> well, no, the, well, it pretty much was when, when, he wrote, <laughs> when he wrote Football for a Buck about the USFL. That was pretty much a crime novel. But, hey, we have got Jeff Perlman on, on with us, folks. And, like I said, one of the all-time greatest sports authors. I love him. He's got some great books out welcome buddy oh thank you i just want to say that usfl book remains probably my my favorite experience writing a book because it was just one insane insane unbelievable no way that happened okay that happened story after another you know what that hey thanks for taking all of our thunder because that's one of my first questions because <laughs> you wrote so many i mean honestly you wrote so many damn good books i mean i was actually i've got like eight of my books and unfortunately due to the divorce the other half of my books are over still with her i haven't picked them all up it was but, contentious <laughs> in the settlement yeah it was like no i'm keeping the jeff perlman books you know, yeah. i go no i'm keeping them <laughs> so it's yeah, airline she, miles i can tell you books. this she she tried to introduce the fo- football for a buck in the divorce day. So she she knew how much it meant. Well, well, no, the fact that I'm quoted there doing some pretty crazy oh. stuff. But but no, that was actually one of my questions uh, for you because you know you've written you know so many cool details. I mean, one of my other favorites is the bad guys. The bad guys won. I think that group of guys had to be just a blast. But I know we did as crazy a stuff as any of those guys did oh man i mean come on the u.s my favorite moment i mean i don't even have a favorite moment but i remember um there was a uh someone told me early on i think it was the chicago blitz were on a flight and um there was the oakland invaders and the plane hit really bad turbulence and they really thought they were going to crash and the invaders had a running back named uh, arthur whittington who had played for the oakland raiders and everyone's freaking out and whittington is looking up at a flight attendant who the turbulence was so bad hit the ceiling and he's literally looking up as she hit the ceiling and someone says, why are you looking up? And he's like, cause if I'm going to die, I want to go out seeing some blank and like, <laughs> which, which, which is almost as crazy as your San Antonio gunslinger's owner hiring his, his ranch hand to be the punter 
because he thinks he's really good at the fun. <laughs> when no. he, when he, he said, listen, this, he had to have so much fun when, because the USFL was in the North Dallas 40 has nothing, nothing no. on what the stories that we had in USFL. I tell people about my lifestyle from 26 until I was 28. I go, they should have just shot me at 28 because it didn't get any better, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. And that's the thing about that book that was really cool, honestly, is like, most of the guys who play, everyone talks about whatever, Herschel Walker and Steve Young and Jim Kelly, but the vast, vast majority of guys from that league never played again. Once the league died, they never played again. Or they played briefly in the Canadian League or some, you know, arena, blah, blah, blah. But like, everyone loved telling their stories with such enthusiasm and such spirit because it really was like saying, tell me about your craziest fraternity story from college. Yes. Like, that's the equivalent. Yeah. yeah, and it was great. It was no, so much fun. when that, it comes to the the topics, and some of them are great untold stories around something like the USFL. Some are some of the biggest names in sports or other sports. How do you come to the topics? Is it the kind of thing where you're a fan of this, or you know there's great stories there? Or at this point in your career, I'm sure you're getting approached by people saying, "Hey, write my book." I mean, the USFL it specifically was a complete and total passion project. The money was not good. My agent literally said to me at one point. Jeff, nobody wants an F in the USFL book. And <laughs> when the, he did, I swear to God. And when the, cause I kept, I kept saying like, what's going on with the USFL? Book? Nobody wants it. And then when it made, it made the New York times bestseller list. And I was like, that felt like one of the great moments. Of my yeah, life. That had and, to be, um, yeah. That had to be fulfilling uh, to you too. Is that, it, you know, cause I, I love your writing style. I, I mean this for everybody out there listening. This is the most honest author out there i mean he writes it and he feels it and i love about how you talk about yourself i i was reading about you you know how you grew up and 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 so it's funny because like when i was a kid the school newspaper so so i i was playing basketball and so they asked me if i would write the articles and i go for sure <laughs> but you know you took all your clippings from i think it was what the review i can't remember is it you yeah, your, wow. took from the review and you go in there and you're you're you go to Delaware and and you're basically you're demanding I'm going to be a writer. You had so much balls. I mean, you basically walked in there. You're a freshman. You're skinny. You got a bad haircut because you do your own hair. <laughs> yeah. and, and you walk in. You go, hey, I want to write. Let me write. Let me write. And finally, you bugged him. And and he goes, okay, go do the lacrosse. Go do the lacrosse deal. And I tell I tell everybody I go, when we talk about you, I go, you know, he's most noted for goading Delaware and Delaware State into a football game. <laughs> I go, I go, but tell us a little bit about you you know when you started writing i mean you know you had a love for it, you had a passion board and you you took those clippings from high school and you took them into college and did you know in your heart of hearts that i want to be a writer it's what i want to do the rest of my life and this is what i'm going to do yeah well i had a moment i was in high school and i wrote for my mail pack new york upstate new york kind of upstate new york and i wrote for my high school newspaper and you know i was like a really good runner in high school but you know i never kissed a girl in high school i was really nervous and really awkward and i remember i did a story it was called um, cheerleading, sport or activity with a question mark. And it basically mocked cheerleading as just, you know, a nothing thing. And I remember I wrote it and it came out and I'm sitting in the high school cafeteria and the cheerleaders are furious with me and they're surrounding me. And <laughs> it, it's like the day before game day. So they're all in their uniforms with their short skirts and the pom-poms and whatever. And the, their hair is done. And I'm like, oh my God, these girls are all paying attention to me. They didn't know who I was yesterday and they're all paying attention to me. That's not my motivation now, 
but it really, you're like, wow, if you write something, people notice you. Well, you're like a and, rock star now. You were like, you, you, you were a mini rock star or a murder victim. <laughs> well, it's, just, it's just like, you know, it's hard to get, it just, it was just something about it. And when I, when I got to Delaware, I was a freshman and usually they didn't let freshmen write for the paper. And I begged and I pleaded and I pleaded. And my breakthrough was, I said, I want to write because Delaware and Delaware state are both one boy football programs. Gulf State is a historically black college. Delaware is like not probably 97% white. And Delaware would refuse to play Delaware State every year. They just wouldn't play them. Yeah. And I finally said, I want to do a story on why Delaware and Delaware State ever play. And I got the athletic director of Delaware to say on the record, I just think it would be really divisive. And that quote took off where everyone was basically like, wow, what a douchebag. That's uh-huh. your reason for Delaware yeah, State not playing. Right. And <laughs> That's it. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. Three weeks later or a month later, they agreed to play in basketball and then they played in football. And now they, they play in everything. Yeah, no, I they, read about that with you. That was crazy. But what I love about you, so, you know, I've, I've got literally – every one of your books and i'm and i was thinking about that when when i knew that they and i were going to talk to you i go god where's my books and so so i'm looking them up and i go oh half of them are over at the at the divorce house and do i dare go over and get them (laughs) you know but but one of the books that you know that you wrote i actually enjoyed because i think as a writer you come up with some challenges that sometimes are are hard to put down but there's some things that come up when you're writing that become real challenges and so when you were writing the gunslinger and you were writing about brett and you the more you learned about him the less you became enthused and this is a book that you wrote that you really didn't get behind and you want to want to lay that out for us yeah so actually i wrote the fire book to do the usfl book like i got a two-book deal and they basically said I said, if I do a Favre book, because I knew that was a big topic, would you let me do a USFL book? So I got paid pretty well for Favre, and I got paid peanuts for USFL. And actually, as I started doing Favre, I really loved it. Like, I loved... I, it's weird. I'm like a liberal Jewish guy from New York, and I love Mississippi. I was there for Walter Payton. I was there for Brett Favre. I think the people are fascinating. I, the more you do this job, I, this is really true, the more you realize that people truly are people, and the politics of division and all that nonsense. Like, when you actually sit down and share a meal with someone, and you could be a Biden supporter, and they could be a Trump supporter, they can be this, they could that. You sit down, you find commonalities with people, yep. and you find out that we're just people trying to get by in this world. That is the God's honest truth. Yep. And writing that Favre book, I love his family. Like, and the weirdest thing that happened to me, one of the weirdest things in my career is, I found his sister, so Brett was not helping me with the book at this point, and I found his sister on Facebook, Brandy, and I DM'd her on, on Facebook, and I'm like, hey, my name's Jeff Perlman, I'm working on a book, I'm coming to Mississippi. Would you consider meeting with me? And she's like, well, DM me when you're down here. And I DM'd her and she said, um, she said, you want to just come over to the house? My mom is here. So I go, uh, okay. So I go to the house and it's the house where, it's the house where Brett was raised and Bonita, Brett's mom is there and Brandy's sister's there. And Bonita goes to me, um, is Brett helping you with the book? And I said, well, I don't know, but I, he's not responding to me right now. So I don't really know. And I thought, well, that's going to be the end of it. And she goes, all right, what do you want to know? And I sat there for probably two hours. They sent me home with scrapbooks, literally scrapbooks from Brett's childhood. And it kind of taught me a valuable lesson about the power of knocking on doors and just Uh giving it a go. And um, there are things Brett Favre has done since that book that drive me insane. Like basically, 
allegedly sort of ripping off welfare recipients. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, that's uh, it's that, not a good look. Allegedly, it's sort not of a good look. right. You know, I hear you, buddy. And yeah. I, you know, we've we've got a boy going to University of Southern Miss, and so I'm I'm getting a lot of that stuff down there. And it, it's really weird though, because you know, like like you said, you can sit in a room and we can find alliances and common grounds. And and yep. I will tell you down there, man, there's some fifty fifty. It's like, oh, Brett would never do that. That's BS. Or Brett's a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, there's a mounting amount of breath of scumbag, I gotta say. Like, it's more than you would think. And, like, it's kind of like he's a scumbag, but he's our scumbag. Right, you know, like it's right, of, uh, right, <laughs> right, right. It's kind of like Donald Trump is the Republicans, okay? Come right. on. <laughs> and right, Biden's right, right. going to be, you know, we all got our own scumbags out there. So, I yeah, mean, you know, we sure do. We sure yeah, do. yeah. But, but that, that's awesome. And so, so he, he didn't help with the book and so forth. And the, you, no. you didn't do a lot to get behind the book either yourselves. I mean, what was really disappointed? The more you found out in regards to the truism, it just it disappointed you because I think you pretty much had the book almost done when some of the stuff was breaking i don't know so what happened is the book came out and it did well and it made i think it made the best seller list it sold well and everything was great and happy and then maybe a year ago so years after the book came out so the whole welfare scandal came out and i just uh i put out on social media i wasn't even really thinking about it but i put out um do me a favor, don't buy my Brett Favre book. This yeah. guy's not worth thinking about. Well, then everybody <laughs> bought it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, right? Yeah, I mean, you know yeah, what I learned? Great marketing. What I learned? Yeah. No better way to sell a book than tell people not to buy a book. Uh, but like, yeah. Whatever you do, yeah, yeah. don't buy Hey, you know, so, so you know, I, I love reading your books. And how would you describe your writing style? I mean, not that good. I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> is this part of your, is this like, don't author. buy my book? No, hold on, this again. Best-selling author goes, I don't know. I'm not very good at it. Number one, I'm not good <laughs> at it. Number two, don't buy the books. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's interesting. I had, um, I do a journalism podcast, and I had on the other day as a guest. That hasn't aired yet, but uh, Steve Schmidt, who is the advisor to a bunch of political campaigns, including he was McCain's advisor during the 08 run. And um, he also went to the University of Delaware. We both went to Delaware. And he was saying to me, how the best political advisors aren't Ivy League educated. They're people who sort of kind of have a blue collar ethos, at least, or like they're kind of like. Or from Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But in a way, like the Lee Atwaters, like they get, yeah. yes. they get the voice. And I do feel like I do kind of write, I think, like I talk a little bit, mm-hmm. and I'm not that smart. And I'm not just saying that. I'm really not there. Every day I meet people who are much more intelligent than I am and have vocabulary. They're, I'd be embarrassed to tell you the number of words where I go, wait, what does that mean? Uh, common words. Mm-hmm. So I just think like I write within my boundaries. You know, I just write within my boundaries. I'm not that smart. I'm not Harvard material. I just write probably like a guy who went to Delaware and really tries. Well, well, I think to have that perspective too, where you can tap into what sort of like the everyman or the general public would be interested in or want to know or who would be interested. So when you start writing a book, you you obviously have to have sort of a plan of, well, I think we're going to tell this. How much of it is predetermined, you know, like something, whether it's with the Lakers or the Bulls, where you kind of know the whole arc of it. And someone, it's maybe the personality where you're just like, well, let's just get going and just see where it heads. Well, well that's right there. I want to tell uh, the personalities, because what draws you to it in regards to that? What Everything that Dane was just saying, but all these various personalities, what's the key that draws you in? Uh, nostalgia is number one. I just think sports, food, and music are three things it's like when you're uh, you're in someone's kitchen and you smell, maybe they're making spaghetti sauce and you smell it and it immediately takes you back to being in your grandma's kitchen when you were six years old, that smell. Or you're driving and you hear a pointer sister song 
and all of a sudden you're at your junior prom and you remember hearing that song and you actually have that flash of feeling that goes through you of dancing to jump at your junior high dance. And that's kind of for me what sports is. Um, the USFL takes me back to the Mailpack Library reading the Herschel Walker issue of Sports Illustrated. The Lakers book takes me back to being a kid watching Lakers Celtics in the middle of winter, freezing my ass off, dreaming of living in LA. You know, like the Pat Walter Payton takes me back to being a kid watching Super Bowl twenty in front of the TV and just being blown away by the Bears. Like I'm drawn by nostalgia. And yeah. and to answer the first part of your question, I always go in like I know about the Lakers of the eighties. I know the arc. I know that they drafted Magic in 79. I know he had his HIV announcement in 91. And I know what they won. But I'm really into finding everyone and getting the stories and the stories behind the stories. And if, if my book ends up being what I knew when I started, then it can't be a good book. Like, you have to be surprised. And I go in with a totally complete open mind about what it's going to be. And maybe some guys are jerks and maybe some guys are great. And maybe the people I thought were going to be jerks are great. Like, you just... You have to go in with an open mind and hope you find things that you never knew. Well, one of the things that you said is that, you know, getting surprised. And so, you know, I read Showtime, and then here comes the adaption of Winning Time. And a couple things. Were you surprised the way Adam McKay kind of put it together? And was there any elements of that that Showtime to to Winning Time that surprised you as it came to screen and came to life? What 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 got you there? Oh man. I mean, the number one surprise is that it actually happened. Yeah. Um, cause I've had books through the years, like you'll have people come to you and say, Oh, I want to option your book, which really means a writer, a screenwriter comes to you and says, I want to try to adapt your book into a screenplay. And here's $5,000 or here's, you know, $10,000 or a thousand dollars. And we want to give it a go. And, and it never works. Like it never happens. I've had that happen probably nine times, 10 times. And I, I lost all hope in it ever becoming anything. And the first time it happens, you brag to all your friends, oh my God, they're turning my book into blank. And by the 10th time, you're like, I just give me the money because this is never going to happen. So just <laughs> happening. Yeah, and no. being on the set, it is being on the set of a show based on a book you wrote. Yeah. Blew my mind. How so was working with it. Adam? How was, how was he to work with? Cause you guys worked together. I'm assuming I'm making an assumption here, but you knew him at, at Sports Illustrated and ESPN. I mean, did you, had you guys had a history before? No, I didn't know him at all. Okay. I actually, um, when the book was optioned, there's a, there a screenwriter named Jim Heck who optioned the book. And then HBO bought it. Uh, but right before that, he said to me, Jim said to me, we want to go to, uh, Adam McKay wants to meet with us. And I said, oh, that's great. And then I hung up and Googled Adam McKay because I had no idea who it was. <laughs> whatsoever. I love it. <laughs> I read in. And, um, and then I met with him. And he's like, I'm a big sports fan. I love the book, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, all right, that sounds great. And then I never thought it would happen. I still never thought it would happen. And then they started casting. And then you're like, Sally Field, Adrian Brody, uh, John C. Riley, Rob Morgan, all these huge actors. And all of a sudden, you're just living in this kind of dream world. Yeah. Now, you know, you've, you've written about a bunch of different stuff. I, I like the rocket fell to earth and about, you know, uh, Roger and uh, sweetness yeah. and all this, but do you have a favorite sport that you're personally drawn to? It's funny as a writer, I've never done this as a book because they just don't sell to be honest. Boxing is the best sport to write about because boxing is crazy. It's like the USFL, like in a ring, you know, it's like, it's crazy. The participants are crazy. The promoters are crazy. The fans are rabid. It's disgusting and disturbing and leaves 98% of its participants brain dead and broke. Like it's an ugly, ugly sport. Yes. But if you're talking about something that's really visceral and raw, I remember 
one of my great moments, just as far as insanity, is when I was at Sports Illustrated, they had me cover a um, Roy Jones Jr. fight when he was in his prime. And I covered this fight. It was at Madison Square Garden. He won. And after the fight, they had a press conference. And someone said to me, boxing press conferences are crazy. You'll see. I was at this press conference, and people asked Roy Jones their questions. And then you hear from the back, hey, Roy, hey, Roy, why are you afraid to fight Tommy Hearns? When are you going to fight Tommy Hearns? And I turn around. And it's 42-year-old Tommy Hearns asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh That's my awesome. God. No, that, I, I, I agree. I, I think that, that boxing has uh, an allure to it, that everything about it is, is kind of like grimy and so forth. And, and, you know, one of your other favorite books, the, the Bad Guys won. I love it. And the times and did did everybody participate in that book? I mean, like when you wrote Football for Buck, we all participated enthusiastically, stupidly enthusiastically, I might add. <laughs> but but I mean, did those guys volunteer? Because those are some stories. They did. The only guys who uh, main guys who didn't Gooden, I think Gooden was in prison at the time, uh-huh. and or oh, Strawberry Prison. One one of Strawberry or Gooden, one of the two was in prison, and the other was in rehab or something. But everyone else pretty much talked Hernandez, talked Carter, you know, RIT talk. How, how was Hernandez? Was he just as, I mean, he seemed like, you know, the golden boy, but he, behind the scenes, he got away with so much crap. He's kind of a jackass to talk to. I don't mean that. Like, <laughs> he's just like really, he's kind of smug and he's kind of like arrogant, which he was as a player too. Right, like right. Yeah, no surprise there. Very, very, also very smart and very savvy. I mean, the guys, the thing is like, I remember like some of the best guys. Kevin Mitchell was amazing. Kevin Mitchell was one of the best all time guys ever. And I went with a lot of like like Ed Hearn, the backup catcher, as dumb as that sounds. Like the clubhouse guys were outstanding. One of my best interviews and he died too. The two guys who died first were Bill Robinson, the first base coach, and Gary Carter, the catcher. And Bill Robinson told me in game six of the eighty six World Series when they're down to their last out, three guys in a row, Ray Knight, Gary Carter, and Kevin Mitchell maybe all came to him at first base and said, I wasn't going to be the one to make the last effing out in the World Series. Like guy after guy after guy when they won that game. Uh-huh. I just thought that's one of the best details I've ever gotten in my life. Was there anything when you get to writing about these stories, and you've got so many great stories, was there anything that you ever came upon that was like a, a dark moment? And, and that, that, that story there has got you know, some dark elements to it right there and alone. But I mean, something that really made you pause and have to ponder it for a little bit on how you were going to react to it. Right. Where it would change like the entire sort of outlook of the book. I mean, I had that happen a lot with Walter Payton because, um, you know, Walter Payton is a Chicago icon and I would argue Walter Payton is more beloved in Chicago than even Michael Jordan because he was much more part of the community. You know, he, he, when he came out of Jackson state, he stayed in Chicago, lived there, became part of Chicago. And the more I reported that book and reported on these sort of later years of his life, the more grim and depressing it got. And I mean, there's a more, just an example at his hall of fame induction ceremony, his wife was in row one and his girlfriend slash mistress was in row three. Uh And there was a moment where, um, Walter Payton's wife says to his agent, he goes, she goes, I want to meet her. And the agent's like, what? She's like, I want to meet her. And Walter Payton's wife and Walter Payton's mistress sit down in the lobby of the hotel in Canton, Ohio. And the wife says, you can have him. And um, this is all his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So when you're writing this stuff, when you're reporting this stuff, and especially because it's someone who's deceased, 
on the one hand, you're like, wow, this is amazing material and this is really telling. And on the other hand, there's a part of you because you're a Walter Payton fan that definitely thinks, yeah. I don't know, this, is this is this the right thing to do? Jeff, so you know, working at WGN and in and around the media in Chicago for a long time, all of those stories were things that, that we had heard, but it's so strange that, you and I've done a, a bunch of shows with Connie before as well, and and it was almost like there was, because of what Walter meant, not only to the Bears, but to the city, and then having him pass was just, it was like a communal citywide grieving that it was almost like, I don't know if you just kind of say like, okay, well, it's just the way it is, but you really did wrestle with it, right? Because you didn't want to. I don't think those stories, for the most part, are part of the public consciousness well, a lot even of, today. There's a lot of, hold on what you just said, though. There's a lot of personalities that are flawed that don't get exposed. Listen, Magic Johnson flawed those stories have all come out you know some of michael jordan's are out you know some of sweetness up but you know for the most part i think you're gonna find there's a lot of people out there arnold palmer you know a lot of the stories about arnold palmer hey guess what don't come out (laughs) why is that jeff why is it that some come out and some are able to be you know just pushed down so far who's responsible for that how's that happen I mean, it's interesting because I think what happens, like, in a way, Peyton is a good example. Like, I don't live in Chicago, and I think that's a good thing for a biographer. I think, like, it is a good idea to not be a part of the community you're writing about because you can come in with a wide open perspective. You're not worried about your neighbors putting, you know, bags of crap in your in your doorway. Like, <laughs> so, like, maybe you know, live in uh, Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, or like me in New York. Like, I mean, I think I think we turn our sports icons into, you know, they're they're unassailable and they're perfect, and we don't want to know. And the truth of the matter is, this is my opinion. I know people disagree. I want to know the flaws of my heroes. Like, I think it makes them more human. Like, I. I don't think it takes away from Walter Payton's legacy at all to learn that he had the same struggles we all have or Magic Johnson, or I think the, the moment Magic Johnson had his HIV press conference is a moment he became incredibly human yeah. and touchable and understandable to a, a war. My mom probably didn't know who Magic Johnson was, to be honest, before the HIV announcement. And, and the, you know, the reaction of some of the players in the NBA when they found out that he had uh, mm-hmm. HIV and AIDS and how they reacted in regards to not wanting to play on the same court with him. That was, that was another uh, truism that came out. And there are a lot of people's, you know, people didn't know, didn't understand. And, and people could say it was a character issue, but I think it was more or less people just, Hey man, I don't know anything about this. I don't want to take any chances. I think the magic Johnson coming out did more for HIV awareness Maybe than anything in the history of humanity, truly. Yeah, I agree. When it, comes to, it just it, it changed the landscape of awareness, understanding, and then if you guys remember, which you probably do, we all thought he was going to shrivel up, get leaves, totally. and die. Like, yeah, yeah. And we thought we were going to witness like this. It was all going to happen right in front of us, yeah. and yeah. it just and it just yeah. never didn't did. see him winning the MVP of the All Star game. <laughs> didn't That's see amazing. that one coming. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all, not at all. It's amazing. No, exactly. I like the fact that I mean, your style is. You write it as you kind of speak it and so forth. And, and that's that's really a cool way of doing it. One of our last things, and as you sort of plan out the career and everything, you know how long it takes to write a book. And as you go, th- are there ideas for books? So you're like, okay, wow, that would make a great book, but you can't write everything 
all the time, right? You just sort of put on the pile of the to-do list, right? And do you have like enough books kind of geared up or thought up for the rest of, let's say, your writing life? Or do you have some that you're like, I got to get to that at some point? Well, the next book I'm doing is my first non-sports book. I've been working on it for about a year. Is um, This is weird. It's a biography of Tupac, the rapper Tupac Shakur. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've been diving into that, and um, been kind of a joy, I got to yeah. say. And like one of the things I love about this job, truly, 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 is it just takes you to worlds you would otherwise never go. Yeah. You know, and I'm spending a lot of time in the projects of Baltimore and Northern California, and just meeting people I've never met, and I'm, it's just great. So yeah. I'm uh, I'm all in on Tupac right now. Well, and you also, I mean, when and when they when somebody asks you and you tell them what you're doing. You go, Cool. <laughs> yeah. But do you ever get writer's block? Because you're like, you're in such a creative element and you're, you're really a, a great explorer. I think what's great about you is that you explore. You're turning over the rocks. And so I, I just can't imagine you ever really get a writer's block. You know, I feel like you're really, uh, you're really building me up here. And I just want you to know, it's fine. I'll go to your ex-wife's house and I'll get your book. <laughs> Do it OJ style. No, no, Say I they're mean, yours. No, I mean, in all sincerity, because I'm sitting there and said, I'm like going, because this stuff's all captivating. And you get on a story, you're like a you know detective. You're like a sleuth. I'm going to solve this. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that you like really get a creative block. I mean, because you really are. I mean, you're digging and you're uncovering. And, and do you ever experience those times where it's just like, ah, oh, Shoot, man! I don't know what the hell I'm going to say here. Oh man, my wife would laugh at you if she heard that question. I um, when I start writing every book I've written, I'll go to my wife. I'll be like, "This is the end of my career. This is the worst thing I've ever written. This, <laughs> this is horrible. Read it. This is terrible. Oh my god, it's so bad." The self doubt is real, and the self loathing is real. And there are many, many, many times when I'm sitting in a coffee shop writing. And I look at a barista and I think I would switch places with you in a second. Because <laughs> I, I, the idea of like, all right, you make your drinks and you leave at six and then you can go home and watch TV. This stuff eats me up. It yeah, does. No. It okay, so in regards to um, this job and everything and so forth, I mean, it does. You get consumed by it. Do you ever uh, have an opportunity to relax and do you read other writers? And if so, who are some of those writers and what's the categories? Well, I just read a great. There's a great new Martin Luther King biography written by Jonathan Icke, who's a friend of mine. Um, and it's great. It's so good. And uh, it's called King of Life. And uh, I read a lot of biographies. The one drawback, I mean, there were more than one, but the, the one big drawback in that regard with books is you're always reading about the subjects you're writing about. Like I have about 50 Tupac-related books sitting on my bookshelf that I pour through one after the other after the other. So, you know, I'll be sitting in bed. My wife is reading whatever, some novel or something. She's really happy reading. And I'm reading my 28th straight book related to Tupac. So you just don't get, you don't get as much of an opportunity as you would like to read books just for fun. Well, you've got yeah. the subjects and the topics. You pick things not only you're interested and passionate about, but America agrees, right? The books are very successful and they love the fact that you're either giving this new perspective or this new twist or kind of fleshing out and expanding on what people can know about all these different topics. Let's also make sure that, you know, every, let's keep him on the close friend list. We don't ever want him writing about us and some of the <laughs> stupid did. crap. That, you no, you've did. done that once, but let's, hey, now I've got a whole new life. I've got the older kids. They actually read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyhow, well, well, it's been a real pleasure today, buddy. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, thanks for having me on. I really so, Jeff, as we let you go, for those people, obviously, in any bookstore anywhere, USA, and, of course, online, they can get the books in all the different incarnations. Uh, but for social media-wise and the podcast, where can people keep up? At Jeff Perlman on Twitter, X or whatever stupid thing it's called today, um, <laughs> JeffPerlman.com. And please, please, please watch Winning Time. If you if you, if you want the show to continue, we actually need views. It's a... It's a rough business out there. So well, I've watched you know, it three times. That should count for something. I mean, I, I keep watching it over and over and over again. You know, you said um, you said well, you, will you come on my show? And I said only if you watch Winning Time ten times. So you actually like? <laughs> well, I do that, man. Thanks so much for everything you're doing. Obviously, for the books, the literary world, for all those fans, and thanks for jumping on the show today. Nothing. Bad.